Welcome back to the Feels Like 05 podcast, your premier source for all things Texas football, previewing the 2021 season. I'm your host, Carter Yates. Alongside me today, once again, is Brett Hintz. We here. Let's get it. And we're excited today. We're going to be talking about the 2021 schedule. We're going to be going game by game, giving you guys our thoughts on every contest. Texas has a pretty tough schedule this fall. It's not going to be a cakewalk in Steve Sarkeesian's first season as Texas's head coach. Yeah, not at all. Um, it starts with week one. We're going to uh, we're not going anywhere. We're actually going to go to DKR. We kick it off against a very talented Raging Cajuns team that was really good last year. They're actually ten and one, and they were co-champions of the Sun Belt. Um, so it's important for people to realize they see a name uh, like Louisiana, and they're like, "This team is not even a Power Five team." But it's important to realize that. They are also probably the best non-Power 5 team in college football. And this is the first test for Steve Sarkeesian and his new team. So I think um, a lot of teams go into the season with a new coach and they want something easy, you know, a confidence builder. You know, you know we don't actually know what we're doing here. But Louisiana is not going to be able to provide that sort of easy, you know, that easy challenge for Texas and Steve Sarkeesian. He's, they're going to provide a tough one. And it's going to be – they're going to have to earn every point in that game. It'll definitely be an early season test. And – the way this works is basically Texas scheduled Louisiana multiple years back as mm-hmm. a cupcake game for an early non-conference. And sometimes you run the risk of that Power 5 team becomes a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And I so mean, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yes. it's a double-edged sword because you, know, you schedule these games and you're like, okay, I'm going to get a confidence booster going into conference play and I'll be able to have you know, all my ducks in a row. But like you said, this is a, one of those situations where we're like, oh, you know, the Raging Cajuns, they're not, they're not something that we can just balk at. Um, and so, like you said, it's, it's, it's just, it's not one of those things. And so the Raging Cajuns are going to provide this challenge for Texas. Um, like I said, it's a double-edged sword because this is going to be a good test. If we can't beat Louisiana, it's going to be a pretty big, uh, or it's going to be a pretty good, actually, litmus test to see what we can do in the rest of the Big 12. And I like that for Texas. And a lot of people say, okay, well, Louisiana went, what, 10-1 and last year? Who'd they play? They couldn't have been playing top teams like Texas. Well, mm-hmm. think again. They beat Iowa State 31-14 to in the first game of the season last year, who Texas eventually lost to. Right, and Iowa State is good. And Iowa State's a darn good football team. One of the best coach teams in the country. Now, you can make the argument that Matt Campbell and Iowa State have oftentimes started slow through the season, and yeah, they were a little rusty when they played Louisiana, but that takes nothing away from this Louisiana football team. Players to watch out for on this team, to me, it's all about senior quarterback Levi Lewis for them. He's one of the most experienced QBs in college football, and he'll be going up against a Texas team who has a very inexperienced QB going to be a lot of first game jitters especially for the first time in over a year with a packed house so uh louisiana definitely has the advantage on texas in the qb department and it's not just in the qb department either when we're uh, whenever we face off against louisiana and dkr something to watch out for is also their defense last year um they're, they're actually returning starters from a defense last year that ranked number 13 in all of college football in yards per play um, and they also were number four in yards per pass attempt allowed. And like you mentioned, this is an offense that is going to go into the game number one with a quarterback um, who hasn't started a season yet for the University of Texas. And so to go against a defense that is, you know, stingy with yards per attempt and pass attempt with only 5.8 allowed, it's not going to be a guaranteed Texas victory going into this at all. Yeah, exactly. And I really want to stress this to the listeners. Everyone has PTSD 
from Tom Herman era and the two losses to Maryland, right, to start off the season, which Texas was heavy favorites both years, and they lost both times. This Louisiana team is better than those Maryland teams. Absolutely. And, but the hope for Texas is that Texas is not – the you know the team from the past in which we falter against teams like Maryland and things like that and which is why I say it's a good litmus test to see just how different this this era is from the last one because the last thing or the last era was you know the the downfall of Tom Herman was able to beat teams um, like Maryland and you know the teams that Texas should roll over being able to take care of business and so whenever you have an opportunity like Louisiana um, like you said which is better than Maryland and even these early better than these early teams that Texas has, has faltered with early on in the season it's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be a good way to see if Texas is really – if it's a new era or not. Now, the betting line for this opened at around minus 10 in Texas' favor, meaning that Texas is favored to win by over 10 points. Mm-hmm. A lot of my buddies that I talk to say, hey, this bodes well for Texas. Why don't let's, – let's throw some money down on Texas winning this game. New era, Steve Sarkeesian, <laughs> we're hyped, stuff like that. Not so. Fa- I don't yeah. think I would take Texas minus ten in this yeah, game. Yeah, if I was a betting man, I would probably take Texas plus ten because it's just going to be the first game of Steve Sarkeesian's regime, and you know it's and that's the problem. It's the first game. We have no familiarity. This offense is never. This is going to be the first time you know the Texas offense is going against anyone else that isn't the Texas defense um, with an entirely new offense and an entirely new quarterback, and it's an entirely new outlook on you know just the things the way the things look as far as their offense, the way it's ran. And so whenever you're going against a defense like Louisiana, it's, I, I, there's no way I think I'm going to take Texas minus 10 there. I think I might take Louisiana. I think it's going to be a game in which Texas might win by a touchdown or maybe two, but it's going to be a closely contested game. It'll be a good win if they win by a touchdown, in my opinion. And a lot of people will say, oh, how this first game of Steve Sarkeesian era, you can't even beat Louisiana by over a touchdown. I, not, that's not the case here at all, right. in my opinion. This is a very good like you've been talking about, like we've been talking about litmus tests mm-hmm. for this Texas team. It, this will be a solid win if they come out here and, and take care of business. What do I think is going to happen? Maybe it's the Tom Herman PTSD that Texas <laughs> fans have of early season letdowns, but I, I think Louisiana might take this game. I just Texas. think I think it's going to be a defensive struggle. I think Texas is probably going to come out and – try and figure out what their identity is on offense um, with the new new offensive coordinator, new entirely new system, and they're going against a defense that has a lot of starters coming back, and they know what they're doing. This is not a defense that's trying to figure out what they're doing or what their identity is. They know exactly how they want to attack you, and they know exactly what it is they have to do to shut you down because they've done this against other Big 12 teams that were better than the University of Texas last year in Iowa State. And so, you know, if Texas is – if Texas can, you know, coach better and react better uh, than Iowa State did last year, then they're going to be they're going to have a good chance. But it's going to be whether or not we're capable of doing so. Yeah, ten returning starters on defense, ten returning starters on offense. That is twenty out of twenty-two starters from a team that went ten and one last season returning. And they will open up this year as a nationally ranked top 25 team. Right, and that's Texas. after all last year of not being ranked at all. And this is a team with a chip on their shoulder, too. So, like, this is a team that felt they were, they were not ranked high enough all year last year, even after taking over or even after taking out Iowa State last year. So, because this is a team that's going to see Texas. I mean, most teams see Texas this way, but especially Louisiana with a team that feels like they have something to prove and they need to put college football on notice. They're going to come out. Um, and Texas is going to have to be on their best behavior. There's gonna, the, turnover, the turnover is going to have to be limited. Um, the lack of execution is going to have to be limited. And it's, but thankfully it's at home, so that favors Texas. But like I said, this is a well-coached team and a team with a lot of returners that knows exactly what they have to do to win, and they're going to come in with a big chip on their shoulder. 
that's the advantage Texas has is that they are at home. The same cannot be said for the next week, September 11th, traveling up to Fayetteville, Arkansas to face a former Southwest Conference rival in the Arkansas Razorbacks. This is a game that now Texas and OU might be going to the SEC, so right. we could see this rivalry renewed. But Texas and Arkansas haven't played each other in, in quite some time. I think since the bowl game when Tyrone, Tyrone Swoops was at QB. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arkansas is a team last year that went 3-7. and seven, So you can look at the record and say this should be an easy win for Texas. But again, I, I don't think it, it should be looked at that way. They've got a coach, Sam Pittman. It was his first year last year, and he, I think, is starting to build the culture better at Arkansas. He's starting to recruit well, and they showed flashes of brilliance last year. One of the biggest things I saw from them was last last year at Ole Miss, they won 33-21, picked off Matt Corral, Ole Miss's quarterback, a whopping six times. Now, Matt Corral is a Heisman Trophy dark horse candidate this year. This Arkansas secondary picked them apart. I mean, they they had six interceptions. They were batting down passes. And you can't underestimate the atmosphere that Texas is going to walk into and the hate that Arkansas has for Texas. Right, exactly. Because these are guys, these are teams that are, they go all the way back to the Southwest Conference. They're rivals all the way, you know, since then. And I know personally, um, Texas and Arkansas, at least in the baseball aspect, they hate each other. These are two teams with a rivalry. And so there's definitely going to be a chip on their shoulder uh, for the Razorbacks coming in. But the thing to understand about Arkansas, if you didn't spend a lot of time watching Razorback football last year, and honestly, you know, as a Texas fan that listen, that's listening to the preview of this, uh, to, of this upcoming season, why would you? The thing to understand about Arkansas is last year their record was awful. Um, but a lot, the key issue for Arkansas last year was their play up front in the offensive line. And their head coach, Sam Pittman, is one of the most well-respected offensive line coaches across all of college football. And so whenever you combine those two things, and then like you said, you have a defense that is capable of creating turnovers in a hurry. This is in, this is in no way, shape, or form a game that Texas fans should look at as you know, an easy win for the University of Texas it, you know, if they look at Arkansas's record from last year. This is an Arkansas team that I think they're probably a lot better than what their record says last year. And you know, they were also in the SEC last year. And so that, the level of play also factors in. And so this is a team that Texas, like, like you said earlier, non-conference, this is a challenge. This is something that we're not necessarily used to every single year. And to go into Fayetteville um, and to face a team, like you said, that is energetic on defense and is ready and willing to turn over – is capable of turning over the ball six times in one game, that's scary. And Arkansas will be breaking in a new quarterback, much like Texas will be. Felipe Franks, former Florida Gators QB – played last year for Arkansas, actually had a really good season for Arkansas last year. I know like, the record didn't show it, but again, like we said, this team was much better than their record. They've got a new six foot three, 240-pound QB, K.J. Jefferson, that the Arkansas coaches are very high on. He doesn't even really seem to be in a battle like Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. It's kind of a done deal that he's going to be the guy. They've got the confidence in him. So I would... I, this is a is a QB who's an X factor, and he could definitely pose some problems for the Texas defense. Yeah, exactly. A defense that in Texas that as a secondary that is unproven um, is going to have an opportunity to go against a quarterback that's also unproven. But like you said, it's a guy with a lot of potential and a guy that we're looking at who can possibly you know run up and down this defense. I think one of my favorite players on Arkansas is the safety Jalen Catalan, and it hurts so bad 
because he was one time a heavy Texas target mm-hmm. in the recruiting game. He's got out of Mansfield. He played baseball and football in high school, two-sport athlete, but he is quick, instinctive, and he can come up and rock you in the run game. He's just he's a guy when I watch, he's all over the field. I love the way he plays. And a really athletic guy, really smart football player. That's a guy that I I could see giving an unproven Texas QB some trouble in this game. I completely agree. And Arkansas is littered with guys being in the SEC is littered with guys throughout the roster who are capable of making impact plays like this and just flipping a game just with their overall talent just cuz like I said it's a different level of talent in the SEC. But I don't think Texas will have to worry about that. Thankfully, with their next matchup coming up against Rice, uh, I think Texas, we won't spend much time going um, in-depth about their matchup against Rice. This is a, a, a matchup that they've played 96 times to date. Um, and while Rice is improving year in and year out, it should be a, a game that Texas wins by 50. This is a game where if Texas lost to Rice, Chris Del Conte would meet Steve Sarkeesian at the 50-yard line in the handshake line after the game and fire him on the spot. Correct. This is a game that's going to be a tune-up for conference play starting next week uh it's a snoozer it's not a game that really either side either team's going to get all that juiced up for but let's quickly talk about so we we've now gone over the three non-conference games really it's hard to say with confidence that texas is going to walk out of here unscathed i mean to go three and oh would be something that would be that to go I would and, be shocked. Yeah, and but the thing is, Texas hasn't gone three zero. They haven't started three zero since Mac Brown. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever you factor in that fact, and then also with how just difficult this early season schedule is, if if Texas comes out of this three zero, I think, or even I mean, we're looking to forward uh, next week. I mean, I guess with Texas Tech, but even if they go four zero going into the Oklahoma matchup, which is looking really, really just that's going to be something hard to do. We're going to be like, okay, this is a team. We made the right hire here. It's going to be something that we're going to be able to look at Sarkeesian and be like, man, wow. You know what I mean? Like, it's, these first three games are, are difficult games, especially for a first-year head coach. It's going, to be, it's going to be something for us to watch out for um, as the season goes on, just how well we can handle these first three weeks of the season. And I think, really, the first two games of the season, Louisiana is a better football team than Arkansas, but I really would be nervous on Texas traveling to Fayetteville and having to play in that opposing atmosphere. If Texas starts out 0-2 in non-conference play, I mean, the the pressure is already turned up on Steve Sarkeesian. And when you get pressure like that as a coach, I mean, you can't help but but it, it kind of changes the outlook of your season and it kind of makes you coach differently. Right. And I think if Texas starts 0-2 or 1-2 in conference play – they just have to – they can't panic. They've got to trust the process and say, we're building something here. Right. And I know they want to compete now, and I'm not saying they're going to go into, but it's a very real possibility. But on the other – I think on the other end of that is – this is why Steve Sarkeesian was hired here is because of these early season games in which we haven't – we're the University of Texas. When you look at um, the University of Louisiana – you compare the two programs. This is a game that Texas should win because of their advantage in recruiting and money 100 times out of 100. 
whenever you look, just look at, at look at it from a, a pure resources standpoint. And this is why Texas has become so frustrated with coaches like Charlie Strong and Tom Herman, who don't consistently take care of business against these lesser programs, because this is the University of Texas. That's the big frustration, um, I think, that surrounds it, is like, you know, we have all these resources and we have all this. There's no way we should be competing with, with schools that, you know, are way down here. And so while you, what you're saying, it's completely valid. These are, these are games that are going to be challenges and these are no these are all good teams here starting three no for texas would be something um that would be really impressive for steve sarkeesian as a first-year head coach but on the other side of the coin this is why he was brought here exactly to beat these teams that you know chris del Conte, and as he should feel that texas should beat every single time so give me your record prediction for the first three games let's let's come back at, in september and see how how off we were i think for the first three games i think i'm comfortable going two and one i think two and one. i think i think they'll find a way to win versus one of Louisiana and Arkansas. I think they probably have a much better chance against Arkansas because, um, like you said, the quarterback going in, we just don't know yet. He could be good, but we just don't we don't know yet. We've never seen him play um, against a team like Texas yet. It's unproven. But Louisiana is proven. I think they've proven themselves, and it's going to be a challenge. So I think I could see Texas losing this game. But I think if we started off 2-1, and one, like you said, I don't think we should feel terrible about how things started. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go 2-1. and one. I think Louisiana is going to be a loss, and I think – Austin's going to be in in mayhem for 24 hours after that game saying, what's going on? I thought Steve Sarkeesian was the answer. And then Steve Sarkeesian will will quell the haters with a a win in Arkansas. And then Rice is obviously kind of a scrimmage before you get into Big 12. Right. Big 12 play. So let's dive into Big 12 play. The first game in the Big 12 for Steve Sarkeesian will be Texas Tech – at home in DKR, Texas Tech's always an awesome game. Always a great tailgating atmosphere. The people people from Lubbock are going to be coming down to Austin. Um, Austin's going to be lit outside <laughs> of the stadium. Uh, and it's two teams that have a lot of bad blood, but a, a, a great rivalry. Um, and, and on paper, it's important to know, like, Texas Tech, they're, project, they're over one, under win total that Vegas feels like this year is at four and a half. Texas has a significant... Um, talent advantage over Texas Tech, at least on paper. But that's throughout this matchup and the history of this matchup, that hasn't mattered. Um, I think last year, the, Red, the, the Texas Tech Red Raiders, they led by 15 points, I think, with a little more than three minutes, something like that. It was um, insane. Yep. And Texas came back in overtime. But my point is, this game, no matter of – it's sort of like Texas-Oklahoma almost. You sort of have to, you know, throw windows – or throw records out of the window because it's every year these teams are in one-score games. Yeah, Texas Tech is always a team that gears up for the Texas game, no matter what their record is looking like on that season. I think they were picked ninth out of ten teams yeah. in the Big 12 preseason media poll. Like you said, it's it's not a team with a lot of NFL talent. Uh, I think they they are still trying to figure out under Matt Wells, who is – Eight and fourteen in two years at the helm. This is going to be a really pivotal year three. They need to make some progress in this year, but it's a team that's hungry, and they are they're a team that always gives Texas their best shot, as they did last year. At it was a it was an overtime game that Texas played. They were down fifteen points, like you said, with like three minutes left. Under like three crazy. minutes. Yeah. I mean, they, Texas Tech had like a 99.7% win chance right. at that point. And then, of course, former Texas Tech quarterback Alan Bowman throws the horns down on camera. The <laughs> curse of the horns down and Texas 
comes back to win this game. Uh, I think a guy you really need to watch out for on Texas Tech is this new transfer quarterback, Tyler Show. So I mentioned Alan Bowman last year, former Texas Tech QB. He transferred to Michigan now, so he's no longer on the team. But Tyler Show is a transfer from Oregon who helped lead Oregon to a Pac-12 title last year, and I believe he was Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year. He was kind of a guy who got overshadowed towards the end of the season by the other QB in town in Oregon, so he fled for Texas Tech. But there's a guy that was that's my pick right now to be the Big 12 Newcomer of the Year. I mean, oh, he's wow. that talented. Yeah, Tyler Show is a former four-star prospect who came to Oregon with with high, just with high regards. Um, and so for a guy to end up like this in, at, in Lubbock uh, who – has struggled, I think, since the Mahomes era to find sort of that stability at quarterback and a guy who can give them consistent results at the position. This gives Texas Tech a new element that Texas maybe is not used to yet. They have a quarterback who can not only sling it a little bit, but Tyler Show can also run the ball a little bit. He brings some mobility to the offense that Texas Tech hasn't had in years. And so while we look at the history of Texas Tech in Texas, this is a, a matchup in five of the last six matchups. It's been decided by one score. Now Texas Tech has a quarterback, so... You know, I mean, the one score, that's something that, that can oftentimes just be the way the ball bounces or one completed pass. It's, it, it can be based on one play. And so when we have better players here at Texas Tech at the quarterback position, I think that's something that Texas fans should watch out for. And Texas Tech also has Sonny Cumbie back as offensive coordinator, one of the best offensive minds in college football. It'll be really interesting to see what he can do this year. Like you talked about, this is a game that's always going to be close, but it's a game if you're C-Star Cajun, you have to win Every this time. one this year. you gotta, you got to have this game. If Texas loses this game, guys, it's going to spell trouble for the rest of the season. I think Texas wins it, um, but if you're, if you're dropping the first Big 12 game versus, uh, versus Texas Tech, excuse me, that is predicted to finish ninth in the conference <laughs> there's going to be some whispers in right. Austin. Right. I mean, but it's just, it's so scary though, because this is a tough, tough schedule. The more that we talk about it and the more that we talk, you know, just openly about, and we just dive into it, this game or this schedule is not going to be an easy one for Texas. And while Texas tech on paper, like I said earlier, four and a half, they're win, they're over under for win total. This is a team with a new quarterback, um, with a lot of new exciting things going on, that isn't going to be easy at all for Steve Sarkeesian, especially considering how close these two teams play each other. They don't like each other. There's horns down. There's going to be some animosity. It's it's going to be a physical matchup that might add. There might be some there might be some uh, some personal fouls. Um, you know, what I mean, like it's just going to be something that Texas is going to have to go into with their heads on the on the swivel, and they're going to have to be able to execute plays and just play the right game of football to, to beat a team that you know they might be a lot better than on paper. And I think they really need to win this game because the next week they're traveling to Fort Worth Mm -hmm. to face TCU. TCU is a team that has Texas's number. Gary Patterson, the head coach over there, seems to have figured out Texas. I actually want to look up what is. I mean, six of the last seven in the series. (laughs) I was about to look that up. They were, I mean, they knocked off Texas last year uh, in 33 to 31. We all remember um, that was a game that was very winnable for Texas. I think that was a Bijan Robinson fumble. If I remember Not correctly, Roshan. Was, was it Roshan? No, or was it Keontae, Keontae Ingram. Oh my bad. Yeah, it was Keontae. That's what because Keontae started playing a lot less after that. If I'm, yeah. if I'm remembering right, um, but yeah, that was a very winnable game for Texas. But this is a game uh, against TCU that every year, like you said, Gary Patterson just has it figured out how to game plan 
against you know those that are in burn orange and white. It just makes no sense because a lot of times Texas has the roster advantage and the and the talent advantage, but Gary Patterson is such a mastermind on defense and he's so good at his job um, that with a with a quarterback like Max Dugan now, it's scary. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough matchup for Texas. I think Gary Patterson is, if not. He's he's probably second, the second best coach in the Big Twelve behind Lincoln Riley. I mean he he is that much of a defensive mastermind. Look at the success he's had at TCU. He's really turned them into oh, a consistent yeah. winner, a team that really had relatively no success until he took oh, over. Oh yeah, I I did um, I did a, every every week last year. I profiled each head coach, and I was most uh, impressed with Gary Patterson just because he took that TCU TCU program uh, with no national notoriety to a national powerhouse where every year you look at TCU on your schedule and you're like, man, we got to play TCU this year. And I think the TCU game in 2020 was probably the biggest gut punch that Texas had last year. I mean, you talked about it's a game they needed to win. Being one yard away. They were one yard away, and Keontae Ingram reached the ball out over, over the goal line or at least attempted to, and it got knocked out. TC, but that that was a game I rewatched it a couple weeks back, and it's a game that Texas just straight up lost them. They have nobody to blame but themselves. Oh, it's yeah. a classic case of Texas shooting themselves in the foot with false start penalties and two minute drills uh, at the end of the half, with fumbles at the end of the game, special teams penalties. I believe Deshaun Jameson had a huge kickoff return early in the game that got called back because of a holding penalty or something like that. It, it, it's I think the TCU game last year represented everything wrong with the Tom Herman era I, at Texas. I agree completely. Just an undisciplined football team that was playing down to competition. I mean, think about it. The last two years, Texas has lost to TCU. They've, gets, they've gotten outplayed, really, and it's by a team. The games are kind of close sometimes because TCU doesn't have near the talent that Texas has, but... Texas is just a classic case of them playing down to competition. And I think this will be a really big test for Steve Sarkeesian to see if he's kind of different. Yeah, at and, that I, head think, coach and spot. I think TCU is better this year than they were last year. They have another Most year definitely. under Max Dugan. And they, have a lot of, they have a lot of guys coming back. Um, and so I think with another year uh, with Gary Patterson and all these guys coming back, it's going to be an even tougher uh, test for Texas this year, especially for a team that just played so bad in ev- almost every facet of the game last year. And it was a game that if they would have won, I remember watching it, I'm like, man, TCU would have really given away that game if they, if they would have let Texas win that game, which they almost did. They were a fumble and a yard away, which is, I guess we should give them their credit for. And, you know, like what we were talking about earlier, it can be decided by a single play or even a single yard. But in all in all, I think TCU is going to present a much harder challenge uh, for the Longhorns this year just compared to last year because they have a returning starter at quarterback and just another year for all these returners on defense to develop under Gary Patterson. You know, these are, these are teams that – all these guys on these rosters, they probably have already beat Texas already. This is not – going into Austin and beating – or going uh, at home, I'm sorry, this is at TCU. At home beating Texas, this is not something that's unfamiliar no. for players at TCU. And I want to talk a little bit more about Max Duggan. He is TCU's quarterback – He's a guy who I don't think has gotten really the respect nationally that he deserves. I'm a big fan of Max Duggan's game. He was TCU's leading rusher last year. He's a guy with really underrated speed. He's a dual threat. You'll remember last year the QB draw he had from about 30 yards out that ended up proving to be the game winner 
Um, he's a, he's a great athlete back there at the QB spot. And I think he's really going to make this jump yeah. this year as a third year starter, because this is the first off season he's had where he's the undisputed guy. Mm-hmm. Like the last two years before this, he's had to really battle up until fall camp to earn his spot. And while competition, you know, iron sharpens iron, there is something to be said for having that secure job right. and really being like, this is my team and I can finally take over. Right. And Max Dugan, he finally has that offseason where he can say, this is my team. And even last year, whenever he didn't have that luxury, he's steadily improving. So I think your prediction for him to break out is a really good one because last year, um, his completion percentage went from 53% the year prior to 60%. Mm-hmm. And he's already a guy who's averaging 10.9 yards a pass attempt. And he finished with 1,700 yards and 10 touchdowns through the air. This is a guy that's getting better year by year. And with a full offseason as, the, as, the, as a confident starter going in, I think this is going to be something that Texas is going to have to watch out for. And we talked about Texas, you know, with their offensive line, Derek Kersetter moving back to left tackle. They're going to need him in this game because Ochuan Mathis, the defensive end for, for TCU, had nine sacks last year, ranked second in the Big 12. I saw him in person at Big 12 Media Days when I went there a few weeks ago, and he looks the part. He is about, I don't, I'm just ballparking here. He looked about 6'5, about 5% body fat, all pure muscle. Uh, he, he looks really good. And it, it, this is a guy that could really cause havoc for a Texas offensive line if they aren't communicating properly and if they're still trying to work out the kinks with a bit of a new rotation with Jake Majors at center and Derek Kersetter kicked out the left tackle. Right. With TCU, their, their calling card every single year is going to be that defense with Gary Patterson. Like you said, the dude is a defensive mastermind. He's a genius. I think he's one of the better minds in college football, maybe right behind Nick Saban in terms of being able – to uh, just construct a winning defense. And so whenever you have that uh, combined with a lot of these publications uh, talking about the TCU Horned Frogs as having their best offense in a half decade, you know what I mean? Like the, you combine the great defense and like the, you have, they suddenly have this, in this powerful offense, you give that to a good coach like Gary Patterson, it's going to be a tough game uh, for Texas. And I think if Texas was to walk out of Fort Worth with a road win against TCU, that would be a huge notch on the belt for Sarkeesian in an early resume builder. That would just we'd be, We would look at that and we'd be like, oh, my God, this, is, this program is exactly where it needs to be because TCU is going to be a good team, I think, by week five. And coming at it from a fan's perspective, y'all, I really encourage you to take the trip to Fort Worth if you have the chance. Fort Worth was a city that I hadn't really gone to much until I got to college. My freshman year, two years ago, we went down, we went up to Fort Worth uh, for the TCU game. And even though Texas lost, I mean, Fort Worth is a, is a great college town. It's going to be a great atmosphere there at Amon G. Carter Stadium. Mm-hmm. If you got a free weekend, I feel like everyone at some point, especially if Texas is about to leave the Big 12, you got to go up to TCU. I mean, and especially with Texas, uh, if they go into this game matchup 4-0, this is going to be a, a matchup potentially between two top 15 teams. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to be a matchup, but as Texas fans, that you want to circle on your calendar if they go into this 4-0, which they are very capable of doing. We talked earlier about how we're, we're scared of you know the potential early season falters, but Texas has a chance uh, to go into this matchup as a top 10 team. And so... Like you said, to go uh, to Fort Worth to watch possibly two top 10 teams match up that are both really good teams in a matchup that you might not see anymore with Texas possibly or going to the SEC, you know, as far or as early as next year, it's going to be something that you're not going to be able to see unless it's going to be in a bowl game in the next, you know, two years. And if you're going to circle TCU on your calendar, you 
better circle the next game coming up on your calendar, the Red River Rivalry versus Oklahoma at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. This is the game of the year, every year for Texas. Great atmosphere once again in Dallas at the fairgrounds. If you're a Texas fan, if you're a Texas student out there, at least once you gotta go to you gotta go to to Dallas in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, hopefully, it's all gonna be opened up. It's gonna be um, you know no holds barred, it, it, full stadium. That atmosphere where it's split half and half between crimson red and burnt orange, it, it'll give you chills. In, in the stadium. I mean, as a Dallas native, uh, Fair Park and the Cotton Bowl is one of my most cherished things ever, just going to the fair every single year. If you're a Texas fan or a Texas student, you have the opportunity to make the trek up to Dallas and go to the fair and get a corn dog or get some corn on the cob or get one of those fried foods that they're always talking about up there. You have to do it. And be, Plus, with all that, you get to watch some potentially awesome football. You're going to watch Lincoln Riley, uh, who is probably my favorite coach across all of college football. He's going to be able... He's going to have a player like Spencer Rattler at his disposal, who might be his best weapon that he's had yet. And so, mm. whenever you have, whenever you look at that, and you look at Texas potentially going into this matchup, maybe five and zero if they're able to, if they're able to uh, take care of business in these first five games, that's something that's going to be electric. Yeah, this will be this will be a game with national implications. We know OU is going to be up there at the top of the rankings. We are not exactly sure about Texas yet. A little bit more unknown there. Right. I mean, as a, naturally, just because they have Lincoln Rally and all those years yeah. of stability, and then we have this new head coach. We haven't had Steve, – Steve Sarkeesian hasn't made his Lincoln Rally run yet. No. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. But Lincoln Rally, like you said, one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in college football. And this is a Oklahoma Sooner team that is loaded. And they are a national title contender. They were picked first in the Big 12 preseason media poll. And it all starts at the quarterback position with Spencer Rattler. He's, he's a transcendent talent. Oklahoma is known – for their transfer quarterbacks with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts uh, in the three years before Spencer Rattler got here. This is a guy who was recruited by OU, committed to OU, is homegrown at OU, and he had some growing pains last year at yeah. starting, just trying to do too much, I think, just a young QB. He's a freshman. He's young. He was a, he's really young, and he also obviously has an insane arm talent. And I think he relied on that a little bit too much and, and didn't really stay within the confines of Lincoln Riley's offense. But you can really see later in the year, he got more comfortable in the offense. He wasn't trying to push it too much. He was he was letting the game come to him and, and, and managing, becoming a better game manager, I think. And it's now turned into where he is probably the favorite to win the Heisman this year mm -hmm. coming into the season at QB. Yeah, I mean, and it's just important to understand how powerful that is within an offense like Lincoln Riley's. Uh, just because I wrote about Lincoln Riley last year, and I remember writing this down, when, in the five years that Riley's been responsible for calling plays, uh, the Sooners have ranked first nationally and in, in, in across all of teams with scoring at 44.6 points per game, total offense with 540 yards a game, touchdowns from scrimmage with 382 and just every offensive number that you can think of almost since, oh, since Riley has, has gotten to Norman 
has just been OU's. Like OU has, has just been able to been that staple across college football than which you know you're going to be able to watch some exciting offense with an exciting young quarterback. And Spencer, Spencer uh, Rattler, like I said, is maybe better even than number one picks that have already gone there, like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. He, always, he, he definitely has the arm strength and the raw talent that's at least comparable to those two. And so whenever you give uh, that weapon, that sort of weapon to a coach like Lincoln Riley – it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of points scored in Dallas. I think the turning point for Spencer Rattler came in the Texas game last year where his season kind of – there was two distinct parts of yeah. Spencer Rattler's season. So, first part of the season when OU was 1-2 and two, and he was forcing the ball into too tight of windows. He was still adjusting to the college game. It ended up to the point where he got benched in yeah. the Red River rivalry. He was terrible. Last year. He was terrible last year. He just looked like uh, he looked like a freshman. Uh, he was a freshman kid who has always been touted since he was 14 years old. Elite Eleven, Netflix. You know Spencer Rattler. You he know was I mean? on that Netflix show, right? right? You know, you know. I mean, but at the end of the day, um, Spencer Rattler is still an 18 year old kid in front of you know however many people can fit in the Cotton Bowl, and that's a lot of pressure. And so when that's your first Red River matchup, that, that, that matchup means a lot to a lot of people, and it has for over half of a century. So I believe he had two turnovers in the first quarter alone, mm-hmm. and he ended up getting benched for Tanner Mordecai, who was OU's backup, is ended up transferring to SMU because after Spencer Rattler got benched for the rest of the first half, he came out in the second half and started. And from that moment on, I, I think it was really smart by Lincoln Riley to sit him on the bench and say, hey, like – you are not – you don't have basically a chokehold on this starting job. If you can't take care of the ball, right. then we're going to replace you. And I think Spencer Rattler, to his credit, play. really emerged after that game and started playing just in Lincoln Riley's system instead mm-hmm. of trying to be the Spencer Rattler show. Yeah. And that was a game last year for Texas they had to win. Yeah, if did. you're ever going to beat OU, it was that year because OU was an inexperienced football team, an inexperienced QB, a QB who got benched in the game. They were one and two, and Texas had the senior roster. They had the senior quarterback, and they had OU gifting them turnovers in the red zone, mm-hmm. and Texas still found a way to lose. Exactly, and that was the theme of the Tom, the Tom Herman era almost in its entirety. It was constantly just finding a way to lose. And with Texas, being, uh, with Texas being frustrated with OU going into that game, they've lost five out of their last six. This is a, a team that you go, into the, the, you go into the matchup and you're like, man, this team can be one of the best teams in the entire country, but Texas is still going to get a chance. They're still going to have a chance because no matter how talented and no matter if they have Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, both guys who went 1-1, and no matter what talent they have on the other side of the football, this is still Texas OU. It's the Red River Excuse me. This is the Red River right? Red River rivalry. <laughs> this is the Red River rivalry, and um, you know anything can happen in these games. This is nothing. Nothing is guaranteed in these games, no matter what look what it looks like on paper at all. And while nothing is guaranteed, I don't think Texas has it in them to beat OU this year. They OU is just too talented. That's the thing that we think every year, man. OU is too talented. And somehow this is a game that's played every year, and it just comes down to, the, to a final play. Or to oh, it's gonna final, uh, uh, it's gonna come down to the final play. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't year. know. If, I don't know if Texas is gonna be on the right oh, side. Yeah, of Yeah, oh for sure. <laughs> I, I, no, I agree. I'm, it sounds like I disagree with you. I think Oklahoma is, is significantly more talented and has more much more experience, and Oklahoma should win this game. I think. Uh, but like I said, it's the, it's the Red River rivalry. You never know. You never know. All right, pause. 
All right, we now talked about the first six games of the schedule, the first half of the season. In my opinion, the first half is much tougher for Texas than the back half of the schedule, but there are still some trap games. One of the biggest games in the back half is against Oklahoma State on October 16th, playing them right after playing OU. And thank God we are not playing in Stillwater because that is the worst stadium in college football. We'll be at beautiful DKR playing Oklahoma State, having that home field advantage there. Right. We'll have Oklahoma State coming into Austin, um, and this is going to be a tough team to project, sort of like Texas because they're, they're losing – they lost a lot of talent coming back. Um, but they returned some on defense, and defense was a strength last year uh, for Oklahoma State, who went 8-3. and three. I think a lot of people sort of forget that Oklahoma State, in the midst of this all this COVID craziness and all the, all the headlines about Mike Gundy, they still went 8-3. and three. This is still a very good college football team that's also returning their, their starting quarterback. And for me with Oklahoma State, it, it all starts with the two safety tandem. They've got two seniors in Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell-Peel, two all Big 12 performers. Colby Harvell-Peel is the strong safety. He's, he's the hit stick. In my opinion, Trey Sterling, more of the coverage guy, the free safety. But they've got a great secondary. They're returning almost all their starters in the back half of the defense. And hopefully Texas has decided on a QB by this point because they're going to need that QB firing on all cylinders for this game, especially because Oklahoma State is a team that puts up points in a hurry. I believe last year they averaged 30.2 points per game, only gave up 23.5 points per game. Uh, so they had well, a pretty good defense. defense, really strong defense last year. And I think that's a theme for a lot of the Big 12 is that Big 12 has always been thought of as an offensive conference. There's no defense being played. But really, the Big 12 in recent years has kind of changed the guard and put a lot more emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think with Oklahoma State, you look at what you need, all the tools that you need to have necessary to win football games in the Big 12 you look at having a good defense, check mark. That's makes that is what sets you apart in the Big Twelve, being able to actually stop anything. Um, like you said, the Big Twelve is known, I think, nationally for being sort of as a joke on defense. And you know, with all the games that are in the fifties and sixties scoring wise, you're not going to see that a lot with Oklahoma State. And so, whenever you look at the formula for winning games, they not only have that defense, but they also have a quarterback. So they have the quarterback and the defense. And you look at what do you need to win games? They have everything. And so, this is a team that I think. Uh, that we don't talk about enough in terms of a team that might make a sneaky little run at the Big 12 championship, or at least, or at least be there to play in that game. Because if you look at you know Oklahoma, Texas Tech, just at all these different teams, Iowa State, Oklahoma State has a valid shot, a good chance, because they have the roster and the quarterback and the coach to make that all happen. You want to hear a sneaky bet I might place with high high odds Let's hear it. on this Oklahoma State team? Oklahoma State quarterback Spencer Sanders to win the Heisman. At plus five thousand odds, I can't wait to come back in in November and see and how off about this that? was. I'm thinking about it because rewatching the Oklahoma State versus Texas game last year, Spencer Sanders is fearless. That's the word that kept coming to mind when I watched him. He is a true gunslinger, Brett Favre esque in the way that he would make two throws in the game that I was like, wow, how did he fit that in the window? And then the very next play, he would throw it right to a linebacker. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like polarizing play. And I think he needs to really cut down on his turnovers to take the next step as a QB. But uh, he's a guy who has all the talent. He's a local product out of Denton Ryan. So I'm very familiar with watching him in high school play. He is a great runner too. There was a play last year in the Texas game where he juked 
Texas linebacker Juwan Mitchell out of his socks and, and showed off some speed down the sideline. But Spencer Sanders has just as much arm talent, I think, as anyone not named Spencer Rattler in the Big 12. I mean, he's that talented of a QB. Really, for him, it's about, similar to Spencer Rattler, playing within Mike Gundy's system yeah. and not taking unnecessary chances. You don't want Spencer Sanders to lose that gunslinger intensity that he has because I think it's what makes him great. But you also want him to be a little bit smarter with the football. He right. Had, he had eight interceptions last year in, I don't know what, like 11 games. That's yeah. a little too high. And all, in his entire career uh, at Oklahoma State, he has 19 interceptions. So like you said, that's sort of what is defines him. He's not scared to take that risk to throw it maybe in between coverages, in between the safety and the corner on a cover two look. He's not afraid to make that throw, but it's whether or not he should. And so whenever you look at him being in that Mike Gundy offense, that's what's scary about that Oklahoma State uh, team this year to me is because we talk about coaching – or at least we haven't talked about it this much um, on this podcast, but I talked about it a lot on my last one. Coaching in college football is the pinnacle. It's going to be the most important thing almost across all, all of college football. When you have a coach like Mike Gundy, who in my opinion is probably one of the 10 best coaches in college football, when you give him a weapon um, like Spencer Sanders and uh, like Spencer Sanders, and you give him a weapon like that, I think that Mike Gundy is, it has the potential to make something really special out of that because he's proven time and time again. I mean, this is a guy that brought Oklahoma State sort of like Gary Patterson with TCU. He brought them from nothing. They were a poverty program before he got there, mm-hmm. and now they're nationally every year. You're like, you have to pay attention to Oklahoma State. And so you give a coach like that a talent that, you know, with Sanders that might have his limitations, he also – he doesn't care. He's going to sling it. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, this so is I respect team. it about him. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, you, you, he's going to sling the ball, and he's not afraid to throw it over your over your safety's head. And so, whenever you're a Texas fan, this is something with an inexperienced uh, secondary group and guys that, you know, who – we're hoping can come in and provide some stability uh, in the back in the back half of the Texas defense. Spencer Sanders is going to test that. Yeah, and one thing going for Texas on the back half of the defense in this game is Oklahoma State has a big question mark about who is going to replace Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State last year, who throughout his career just absolutely sunned Texas. Oh yeah, I want to pull up the stats that Tylen Wallace had playing against Texas the last few years. Yeah, and while you do that, I'll also mention that it's not just Tylen Wallace that Oklahoma State is losing as well. They're losing uh, Mr. Everything at running back from last year. Um, and ha- not having Chuba Hubbard being able to be that bell cow and being able to uh, also rely on Tylen Wallace, these are weapons that Spencer Sanders is going to have to learn to adapt without, and that's something that he's never done in his entire career. And so that's going to be a big challenge to see for Mike Gundy and to see how he can, how far he can look into his, uh, you know, how far he can reach into his coaching bag to develop these players like Spencer Sanders without the superstars like Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard. So I, I pulled it up. I've got two games. So three years ago, you'll remember Texas went into Stillwater as the number six ranked team. Tylen Wallace, I think he was then a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken. He had 222 yards and two touchdowns as they beat number six, Texas, 38-35. And then last year in the game in Stillwater again, two years later from the 222-yard performance, Wallace had 11 receptions for 187 yards and two touchdowns. He had Texas' number throughout his career. So Texas is very happy that he has moved on to the NFL, playing with the Baltimore Ravens with former Texas wide receiver Devin Duvernay. 
but the tech, Oklahoma State doesn't really know who's going to step up for him, and I think the biggest candidate for that is Brennan Presley. Remember this name. He's a sophomore wide receiver. He's a guy who exploded in the Cheez-It Bowl for 119 yard, 118 <laughs> yards excuse me, and three touchdowns, and Mike Gundy was very complimentary of Brennan Presley at Big 12 Media Days. It's not going to come from one guy replacing Tylen Wallace's production, but Brennan Presley could be next in line for that next great Oklahoma State wide receiver. You know, uh-huh. Oklahoma State's got a great pedigree. You know, Des Bryant, Justin Blackman. Um, why am I blinking on the other James Washington, Pittsburgh right. Steeler guy? They are a wide receiver factory. At wide receiver State. factory, exactly. And but with all this in mind, and just how talented Oklahoma State is, you still, as a Texas fan, it's important for you to remember going into this game. This is a t- this is a game that Texas feels that they should win against Oklahoma State. This is a team that this is a game that they would like to win almost every time. Um, where they want to be nationally, where they view themselves as national contenders, and how much they are paying, um, you know. Steve Sarkeesian to come in and sort of fix this program. These are games that Texas uh, athletic director Chris Del Conte wants to wants to be able to lock up and win because these are games that you have to win if you're going to win, um, you know, conference championships year in and year out and be in that national conversation as a as a title contender. These are games against good teams like Oklahoma State that you would like to win almost every year, year in and year out. And it's not going to be easy, but this is something that Texas fans the expectation is going in uh, to this game is to win. Another game that Texas expects to win, has to win, if they want to be a true contender, is next the next week against Baylor. Yeah. October 30th, it's going to be in Waco. Waco gets a lot of flack as a college town. As and it should. As it should. But <laughs> I will say, McLean Stadium is a really cool. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Really cool stadium. It's and beautiful. I really like how they got the river right by it. I went and saw a game. There at McLean, it, and it's a quick drive from Austin to Waco. Uh, I would recommend it if you are a Texas fan at least once. You got to go to. McLean. I mean, it's a beautiful campus. I, I actually have a really fun story because whenever I was bullpen catching back in my bullpen catching days with the University of Texas, I went on. I traveled. Uh, whenever we went to Baylor, I only traveled two or three times. Whenever we played Baylor on the road, we spent the weekend in Waco. And the campus, like you're saying, is truly it truly is beautiful. Like all the, the sports venues, the stadiums, the baseball stadium even, this all have this cool backdrop behind that lake. And everything. Mm-hmm. it's just a really cool vibe and a really cool environment. Like you said, if you, know, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's something that you're going to have to check out. But you want to check it out while Texas is probably beating this team by 40. At least you hope so. <laughs> you think Texas is going to hopefully beat this team by 40? I think Baylor is really bad. I think, really? I think Baylor, I think they, they have, I, don't, I mean, what do, you have, what do you think that Baylor has figured out so far? Well, I don't know what they have figured out, but I think Dave Aranda is a guy, their head coach. He had his first season last year. They went 2-7, and seven, but... Coming in as a first-year head coach in a COVID year, and Baylor had so many disruptions with COVID, especially. I mean, their spring practice was halted multiple times. Their season was halted multiple times due to COVID-19 outbreaks. I don't think you can really judge Dave Aranda on what he did last year, just because, like, they were – you want to talk about being affected by COVID. And a lot of teams want to play that card. Baylor, I think, has – the the most to say yeah I mean and I, I love Dave Aranda I wrote extensively about him um, whenever I was doing my previews every week and I, I'm impressed with Dave Aranda as a coach being able this is work at LSU and even going to Baylor and you know he's done some good work there but the thing with Baylor they don't have a quarterback and I think last year they did have a quarterback in Charlie Brewer and they still struggled to score and they only scored 23 points a game and only had 4.4 yards of play and now going into this season they have a quarterback competition than which they really don't know you know who's going to be able to step up 
and sort of even provide that Charlie Brewer level of production that last year gave them, you know, one of the worst in the country. You know what I mean? And so yeah. they're looking to, to replace this production. I just don't know if they have the guys to be able to consistently move them, move the ball down the field. Well, and it's not really like with Texas, you got two unproven quarterbacks who are both very exciting players right. that you have competing for the starting quarterback job. It's kind of like a snooze, snooze factor mm-hmm. quarterback competition up there in Baylor between Gary, Jer- I think. It'd be, yeah, it'd probably be Jerry Bohannon, I think. Jerry Bohannon, the, or is it Gary Bohannon? It's have, with a G. Something. Jerry Bohannon <laughs> and Jerry Jacob Bohannon, Zeno. I think, is, yeah. Both guys who are, are relatively unproven. Jacob Zeno, I'm looking at the stats right here. He attempted only eight passes last year, had 18 yards. Charlie Brewer was a four-year starter at Baylor. He's probably the best quarter, one of the best quarterbacks in Baylor history. Right. Um, he was. I think he was really disrespected as a QB because I think he's a big factor for the success they had with Matt Rule. And while he didn't have that great of a season last year, I don't think he had the team around him to really do anything of note. He, of course, transfers to Utah, so he's in the Pac-12 now, out of the Big 12. Uh, but Charlie Brewer was, I think, a really underrated QB for the, for the Bears, and I think he, they're going to feel his loss. Right, and I, don't, and I don't think we want to spend too much time talking about the Baylor game because, like I said, this is a game that I expect – I don't know how you feel about it, but I think this is a game that Texas fans should feel that they should go in and win. And maybe not by 40, maybe I am, maybe I am exaggerating that by a little – uh, but I think they should win this game comfortably. I don't. Th- yeah, I think it should be comfortable. And this is a game where if if Baylor ends up winning this game, like red flags. Yeah, we're, Texas. That's, yeah, Texas. We will, we will like, not hit be happy. the panic button. Right, we will not be happy here, and it, we will be. It, we'll, we're talking about someone uh, coming in like in their first year going against Baylor. You're like, man, why did we hire a new guy? You know, what I mean, like, why do? Yeah, the Texas fans would be in an uproar yeah. if, if we lose this Baylor game. I've kind of put Baylor and Tech in the same category of just like these are the games you just have to win. Yeah. No, but like and no, probably no should win comfortably. Buts. Yeah, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You no have to win these guys. You need to win this game. Right. And But the next week, it's not so sure of a – it's not the same story. You're going against an Iowa State team November 6th in Ames, Iowa. They're one of the best teams in college football. They're nationally ranked top 10 before the season even starts. And this is a team that's had Texas's number since the very beginning, it seems like. And Iowa State, this is a team I picked to actually win the Big 12. I think it's, now, most or, others. Yeah. it's now or never for Iowa State. They have not had a good football history whatsoever. But Matt Campbell is the real deal at head coach. He's a guy who got NFL interest after the season, decided to stay in Ames, Iowa, a team right now who is returning 19 out of 22 starters from last year's squad that was in the Big 12 championship game. If you're Iowa State, this is the best chance you're going to have in probably the next century to win the Big 12. So there's a lot lot of pressure on this season for them. Right. You have to imagine Matt Campbell will probably move on to bigger and better things at some point. Most likely. And he'll probably get one of the better jobs in college football or maybe even the NFL um, coming up in the next few years. But, yeah, Iowa State – they are returning uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the country in the form of Brock Purdy, um, who I think is, a, is on a lot of lists for early Heisman favorites. Um, he's just broken almost every record at Iowa State at quarterback. And so for uh, a DB group for Texas to go on the road to a lively environment in Iowa State, it's going to be something that's going to be a challenge, and it's going to be a fun game 
but I don't know if this is one where Texas should go. Texas fans should go in expecting a win. I no. think I think it really it really upsets me whenever I see um, on Twitter, especially like after these games happen. It's like Iowa State spends X amount on recruiting versus Texas, and I'm like, dude, they also have Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell mm-hmm. is one of the best coaches in college football, and they found a true diamond in the rough in the form of Matt Campbell at Iowa State because it makes no sense why a coach that good is, is at a place like Iowa State. And I think it's really summed up with Brees Hall, their all-star running backs uh, quote after the Texas game last year. Of course, they beat Texas, mm-hmm. and he goes, it's five-star talent versus five-star culture. Exactly. Obviously, five-star talent referencing Texas. Iowa State, a team that doesn't always get the five-star recruits probably ever, uh, but they have – as Brees Hall says, five-star culture. Right, and it was sort of that – it provided a perfect foil for the Tom Herman era at Texas because the recruiting before last year was almost a strength of Tom Herman um, as he was um, – throughout his tenure at Texas, but it was getting those recruits and developing them uh, well enough to win games versus guys like Iowa State in which they weren't able to do. But Matt Campbell, he doesn't have that advantage in recruiting, but he maximizes every single player on his roster, and you know you're going to get their best fight every single time you play them. And Texas fans best know Brees Hall for that quote, of course. It ruffled a little bit of feathers. But Brees Hall, reading off his stats last year, 1,500 yards, 5.6 average, 21 touchdowns. He's the best running back in the Big 12. Bijan Robinson might have something to say about that come season end, but as of right now, preseason, Brees Hall is the undisputed best running back in the Big 12. They're a very balanced team. And when you combine that with a Brock Purdy who has, has a school mark for passing touchdowns with 62, has 12 300-yard games in his career, I mean, he's just broken every record at Iowa State. That is a scary backfield. It is one of the most balanced offenses, I think, in the Big 12 because – They've got Xavier Hutchinson out on the outside, had 700 yards last year. They've also got Charlie Kohler, who came back for another year at tight end. He is on the Mackey Award watch list. He is a first-team All-Big 12 performer, and he had 591 yards last year, led Iowa State with seven receiving touchdowns. He's a big play threat from the tight end position, and especially for Texas, who sometimes their linebackers struggled in coverage with communication last year. Charlie Kohler is a guy that can really pick you apart over the middle of the field yeah. as and a I, big body wide receiver. And I think it's the most the most important thing for even the most casual fan of Texas to know is that Iowa State, um, at the end of the year, this is a team that we could very well be looking at as a team that's in the college football playoff. They are that mm-hmm. good. I mean, they are that talented from top to bottom, from head coach, um, to who they actually have on the field. This is a team that I wouldn't be surprised with at all if they were one of the, the last four teams standing um, in January. And so whenever we go into this game, it's important to realize um, that Iowa State is the real deal. They're here, mm-hmm. and I think that this is a team uh, that Texas will go in, and they might compete a little bit, but I think Iowa State probably will get the win here. I think Iowa State will get the win here for sure. And I think that's the Big 12 preseason media poll – it was Oklahoma and Iowa State at the clear-cut number one and number two with Texas at a distant third. Uh, Iowa State and Oklahoma are two teams that are on different levels than than the rest of the Big 12 right now. The two games of the year for Texas are going to be Oklahoma on October 9th and Iowa State on November 6th. You really can't find any holes on this Iowa State team. And I would say this is Matt Campbell's last year. Yeah. I he's not going to stick around for the rebuild. I, think that's I don't fair think to say. that's coming next year. He's probably going to bounce the NFL. So, Cyclone fans, if you're listening to this podcast, it is now or never. Right. In and my I mean, opinion. Right. I mean, it's now or never, but, and that sounds like a scary proposition, but man, they are so good 
from top to bottom. Like I said earlier, I just think um, that when you combine the roster with a coach like Matt Campbell, like I just cannot say enough words about how special I think Matt Campbell is at coaching football because it's, it's special to me when you go to a place like Iowa State who before he was there, they were never known as a perennial college football winner. They were cellar and, dweller. Yeah, they were cellar dwellers. And then this is a team that now you're going to look at at the end of the season and you're like, they're going to finish maybe in the top four. And I think that would be exactly what I expected. And that's just crazy because you would never think that about Iowa State. So Texas will go from playing one of the deepest teams in the country to one of the trashest teams in the country <laughs> the next week against Kansas. We're not going to spend much time on this game if – this is another one where if Texas somehow loses this one, um, they, they what you want to know about a fan or what you want to know as a fan going into this game is that Kansas is one of the worst, if not the worst power five team in all of college football. Yeah. And it's not even just like the, t- the talent pool is non-existent. They've also got a bunch of off field issues right. from the less mile era that just ended former LSU coach who, who tried to, revived the Kansas football program. It went horribly. We're not really going to touch on a lot of the off-field issues they have, uh, but it's a program in turmoil, and, and they, I just, they just don't have any talent. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, if there's a team that I think I would be the most confident in putting a 40-point win attached to the schedule, I think Kansas would probably be the one I'm the most comfortable with. Just yeah. because, like you said, there's just the dearth of talent, the culture issues that's going on. Kansas, if you're a Kansas fan, there's nowhere to go but up, right? I mean, but – that on the other end of the spectrum, they're just not talented at all. This is a team that I think Texas will, should probably roll over with their second team. Like, quite honestly, like this is not yeah. – Kansas is just not – they're one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country, if not the worst. That's what's important to know. Yeah, so pencil this in as a win, and it, it would really take a snowball's chance at hell for, for Kansas to win this game. And if that happens, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you're in trouble. So mm-hmm. moving on to the next game, second to last game of the year against West Virginia – November 20th, going to Morgantown, which is an underrated college town. I've never been. In my opinion. I've never been either, but they seem to have a really good time. I've always heard really good things about it. It's got a great atmosphere, for sure. Neil Brown, third-year head coach uh, from Troy, had a lot of great success there. I think this is the pivotal season for him where it's going to make or break his tenure. Usually the third year is kind of the make or break for a coach. This is what Neil Brown is coming into, and I think – He's got this team fired up, and I think they're going to be they're going to be a pretty tough squad. I think Texas should win this game. This is one of those games where if Texas loses, that's red flags and it's spelling trouble. But it's not going to be a cakewalk by any means. Yeah, the thing with West Virginia is they have a quarterback who they know is capable of catching fire and playing well. Um, last season, he had a string of four consecutive 300-yard efforts and tossed only four interceptions over 374 attempts. So they have a quarterback that they know that they can that can come in and play well in big moments. But Doge is going to have to be a little bit more consistent. Jarrett Doge, uh, the quarterback for West Virginia, um, it's just all going to rely on his ability to be able to, to get the West Virginia offense up and down the field, in my opinion. And I think they have a strong chance of that. He's a good quarterback. But like you mm-hmm. said, it's going to be a make-or-break year for Neil Brown. And I think they have the most disrespected running back in the Big 12 in Letty Brown, mm. a guy who had 1,000 yards last year. Now, I just rewatched the Texas versus West Virginia game a couple of days ago, and Texas, the run defense, kind of stifled Letty Brown. We'll get to more of that in later episodes, talking about the Texas like football team and their roster. But Letty Brown was not put on a preseason all-Big 12 team. And I think that was really like – Kind of a disservice to him. I know you got to put Bijan Robinson up there for his like performance at the last few games, mm-hmm. but Letty Brown did it all season, and yeah. he he's got great balance and speed, 
And he is, I think, the most underrated, disrespected running back in the Big 12. I expect him to have a breakout year once again. Yeah, and especially under a coach like Neil Brown. Um, whenever I was doing my research on Neil Brown last year as part of my series for you know doing a weekly series on the coach, I was really surprised because I didn't really have much familiarity with Neil Brown. But this is a guy that completely revitalized the program at Troy. And this is a guy so that we know and that they know um, is completely capable of revitalizing a program that maybe wasn't there before he got there. And so, like you said, this is going to be a make or break year. And whenever you have a quarterback like Jared Doge and the running back, I think that the, the chips are all there uh, for West Virginia to make the run. This is going to be the question of whether or not their quarterback is going to be consistent enough to be able to get them up and down the field, which I don't. And I think West Virginia probably they'll, they'll be in the, in the in the frame for six or seven wins this year. Mm-hmm. And that and that and that's in that little gray area where they usually seem to be. Um, where they'll probably steal a win from a really good team and will probably lose to a team like, you know, they'll probably lose to Kansas State. You know what I mean? Like they'll, but you never, know with, you never know with West Virginia because they have all this talent. And so this is a game that Texas has to go into, again, with their head on the swivel, and they can't just pretend like it's just another game. West Virginia is that team that, like, I agree with you, probably be around six or seven wins, but every game's going to be close. Yeah. Every game's going to be a dogfight. I think the strength of this West Virginia team is on the defensive line. Dante Stills is the deep, one of the D tackles on that team, and he is, wreaks havoc in the backfield. His brother Darius was also an all-Big uh, all 12 performer for the Mountaineers. Darius ended up going to the NFL. Dante decided to stick around another year and hone his game. And, and I mean, this is a team with Neil Brown. Um, it should be noted that this, is, this, this matchup is coming in Week 12. And so it, and at this point in the season, Texas can be, you know, either they can be in, in a multitude of places. But if they're in a place where they're in a really good spot in which they're potentially contending for the Big 12 championship, it should be noted that Neil Brown, like he has experience beating these good teams. Back whenever he was at Troy back in 2016, I remember writing this. They, the Troy team almost beat Clemson. They lost 30 to 24, mm-hmm. Troy, in 2016. And then Clemson went on to win the national championship that year. They beat LSU too, at right. Troy, right? Yeah. He, they also, yeah, that was the one that was on, on the road as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, and this is, so in this, in this match, matchup is in Morgantown and so this is an important matchup to realize that Neil Brown has he's done this before he has no problem going to to go um to a a team that might be better and steal a win from them last thing I'll say about West Virginia I'll give you a breakout candidate Akeem Mesador I wrote about this guy last year when uh, we were covering the football team but he was a freshman all-american had five sacks last year I think he's a guy that's going to break out onto the national scene, and he's really going to pair well. Him on the edge with with Dante Stills in the middle, got some good stunt abilities where they can you know swoop Dante outside, bring Akeem Mesidor on the inside, and I think they're going to wreak havoc on opposing backfields. Defensive line, I think, will be the strength of this West Virginia team. Like we said, this is a game, Texas, you got to win. Uh, if Texas loses this game, the season is off the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a tough. It's not going to be. It's not going to be a blowout by any means. Yeah, I think it's going to be a game in which we've. It might be decided by less than two touchdowns. And and whenever you have uh, games like that, and with coaches like Neil Brown, they sort of thrive in that. I think Neil Brown is sort of what they call like someone that's an upset specialist, someone that will mm-hmm. come in and has no problem upsetting your team that might be a lot better than you. And so, like you said, this is a game that Texas has to win. Chris Del Conte probably feels that Steve Sarkeesian should win this time, this game 100 times out of 100, if we, especially if we want to compete nationally where we want to compete. But like you said, this is going to be no, no easy team that's just going to roll over for you. I think very similar to West Virginia, the last game of the season against Kansas State, 
Uh, this is going to be at at Manhattan. No, no, excuse me. This will be at DKR to finish off the season against K State. They didn't have that great of a season last year. Only four and six, but don't be deceived by their record. They had a fifth-year quarterback, Skylar Thompson, who got hurt after three games last year, and they had to throw in a freshman QB who didn't have a really good offseason because of COVID, didn't get the experience in fall camp that he needed to start with, and the season kind of went off the rails because of that. But before Skylar Thompson, the QB was hurt, they beat Oklahoma. Yeah, I think Kansas State is good. I think this is a team with Skylar Thompson and also with Deuce Vaughn, who sort of broke out last year as a running back in the Big 12 and, and made a lot of noise. Um, I think Kansas State, with that coming back, I think this is a team that can possibly at least get back to a bowl game this year. And with Skylar Thompson, if the chips fall the right way, they usually are really well coached. You know, they, if they're taking off some teams like Iowa State and Oklahoma like they seemingly do once a year, you, you got to watch out for them. They're a team like Oklahoma State that they can make a sneaky little run. And you'd be like, oh, at the end of the year, they're, at the, they're, in the, they're right in the conversation for the Big 12 championship. Deuce Vaughn, to me, you mentioned that name. He's the best all-purpose back in the country, in my opinion. Really short guy, low center of gravity, but mm -hmm. he led K-State in both rushing and receiving last year. 642 yards on the ground, seven touchdowns. 434 yards through the air and two touchdowns there. Uh, he is one of the best, like I said, all-purpose backs in the country. They need to keep him healthy. I was surprised he wasn't on the Big 12 all-preseason all media team. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, Kansas State, Chris Kleiman in his third year, another guy like Neil Brown, who was coming into that pivotal third year, Chris Kleiman was at North Dakota State, helped lead that dynasty, build that dynasty. So you know he's a good coach. Mm -hmm. And Kansas State has always prided themselves on being a well-coached team that could really give the Longhorn shovel in the last game of the season. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but the thing that about Oklahoma State, we talk about how exciting their offense is with Scott. I mean, as we should with Deuce Vaughn and Skylar Thompson, and they're also, they're also returning a lot of starters within their wide receiver group and their offensive line. The, the other end of the spectrum for Kansas State is that they're also losing six returners on defense. Um, but when you factor that in with this is also going to be in week 13, this is the final game of the season, this is a group that should be at that point a season group that knows what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are and that should be able to, you know, get a formidable attack ready for Texas. And so, um, you know, this is a, a Kansas State team in week 13. I think this might be the worst time to play Kansas State because yeah. this is a team, like I said, they're losing they're losing six starters on, on defense, which is awful for them, which sucks for them. Um, but their offense is so exciting that by the time we're at week 13, if their defense has figured out what to do, this is a team that's scary. And playing them at home, I think, gives Texas an advantage over going to Manhattan and playing there. Very much um, so. But – Texas is going to have to take – this is another game. I feel like we've said this for almost every every game on the schedule. This is a game where Texas has got to execute. I think for every single game almost on the schedule, you know, if they're not playing well, Kansas State is a team that is more than capable of coming in and taking a win from you. So now that we've looked at this entire schedule, I'll, I'll group it up into kind of – let's say snoozers, games that Texas – it, the other team has a snowball's chance in hell of winning. Really, it's only Rice and Kansas right. that are games that are, are snooze factors. Games that Texas needs to win if they're going to have the prop, the season they want to have is West Virginia, Baylor, and Texas Tech. I think some trap games out there, games that fans think Texas needs uh, is really favored to win, but right. I could see the other team pulling off an upset. I'd go Louisiana, Arkansas, TCU and Kansas State is TCU. Is, is Texas favorite against TCU? 
I don't know if they have that out okay. yet. Okay, I was going to say that would be surprising to me if Texas would be favored over TCU already, just because I think like we talked about earlier, TCU's coming in with so much talent. That's yeah. going to be a team. That's going to be. It's definitely. I don't even know if we would consider it a trap game, just because I think we know going into it, you know, this is a, a, a team that is might be better than us on paper at least. You know what I mean? I think you and I are higher on TCU than the national. True. I think I think that's is. fair as well. I, I think, think we fair. both have that experience with TCU. Kind <laughs> we of, have PTSD. We have PTSD <laughs> for sure. I think we we're we are not underrating TCU, but I think the national media is so that means i think texas will probably be favored like they usually are versus tcu but tcu has just robbed us of so much happiness over yes. the years that we're just so we're so used to it and then for me games of the year you can't miss these oklahoma oklahoma state and iowa state yeah all right well, that's gonna do it for this schedule episode want to thank everyone for tuning in make sure you also sign on for next episode where we're going to talk about the top 10 storylines for this Texas football team, uh, Brett, let's let's grab a headline here before we before we sign off. What what's the over under eight wins for this Texas team? I'm gonna go under. I think we're gonna be right at in that seven or eight range, and I think actually eight might be the perfect number for the Texas team, just because like we looked at the schedule, there are so many games in which you have. I think we're gonna have just gonna have to execute in order to win. And when you have a first year head coach and you have just that lack of experience and that lack of trust. I mean, that factors in. You have to play really well against these teams that are really well coached, and they, aren't, they don't have a first-year coach. They're, they know their culture there, and they are, they're used to winning. And so I think that eight win – I think my prediction for Texas would probably be in that eight win area right there. Yeah, I would probably say eight wins as well. I think the line is around eight and a half right now, eight to eight and a half. I say, guys, if it's eight and a half, I would go under on that. If it's eight, I would say push or over – it's going to be really close in that area. I don't think this is a double-digit Texas, like double-digit win Texas team. Um, but I think this first season, just because I think the the first half of the schedule and the non-conference schedule is so tough. But what's exciting about that is that if Texas at the end of the year, if they're able to come away with it at double-digit wins, you're going to feel really good about this Texas football program. And I think. You know, it feels like 05. Let's, let's, be, let's, be a little, let's be a little optimistic here. I think that, you know, this is a different program, a different regime. Hopefully we're going to be able to win these games that we feel like we should win. I think we're so used to, like, losing these games against TCU because of the Herman and Strong area that, you know, maybe if we're, Playing drinking, we're, if we're, if we're drinking the CDC juice a little bit, you know, this is, these are games that we might win now. And so maybe you know, if we look back at the, end of the, at the end of the year and we look back at it after the this, after this schedule preview, if we have 10 wins, I'm really happy about it. Yeah, and I think – we're going to find out very quickly if Steve Sarkeesian is a guy who can get Texas to finally play up to their potential no matter the opponent or if it's more of a Herman and Charlie Strong situation where Texas is playing down to competition. And we'll and find out. Week playing one. coach, playing close games versus teams they should be killing. And we'll find out week one versus Louisiana. So, yeah. And so that's exciting. It's, it's, so, it's so exciting to look forward to is that we won't have to wait at all.